Well, our second message is entitled Antichrist Mark. This is the mark of the beast where we're actually going to see from the scriptures what exactly is the mark of the beast. We'll watch a video and then let's pray right after the video. What do you think? Have you studied about what the Bible says in regard to the Antichrist? Uh, a little bit. So have you studied the Bible about what it says about the Antichrist? Not that particular subject, no. I really don't have an understanding about it. Have you ever studied what the Bible says about the Antichrist? Yes. Is that something that you've studied out of the Bible, from the Bible? Uh, yes. <laughs> Some of that was the same in the last video, I guess. Yeah, well, it's like, hey, no problem. I'd like to see them. <laughs> it was fun doing that. It was really fun doing that. Chad, lead us in prayer. Would All you? right, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. <clears throat> Great God and Heavenly Father, Daniel and I kneel before you right now. We're not worthy to stand in front of these people, Lord. We're not Amen. worthy to know the truth of your word. Lord, I thank you that you are the God that you are, and the Bible says that God is love in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. It doesn't just say that you're loving, even though you are loving it. It says that you actually are love. Lord, you've given us these messages, and all that you do is love, if that's exactly what you are. Sometimes it's hard for us because we hear something that is different than what we may have been raised doing, or a different lifestyle, whatever it may be. Not just the Sabbath, but anything in the Scripture, if you're not used to that, that teaching is... In the beginning, sometimes hard. But when we actually follow it, it is such a blessing to experience the truth and the love that you have in the Scriptures. Mm -hmm. So Lord, as we dive into the study of the mark of the beast, we've already seen the seal of God is truly having Christ in, your, in our hearts. And if we do, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And you cannot have one without the other. A true love will have a desire to keep your commandments. So the, your seal in your law is the Ten Commandments written on our mind and on our hearts, Lord. And prepare us now as we delve into exactly the mark of the beast. In the name of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Okay, well, okay, Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Now, you got to understand, God never asked Cain to bring the fruit that he had been raising as an offering. Okay, But that's what Cain did anyways. Cain wanted to bring something to God, and so he did. Though it wasn't exactly what God asked him to bring. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. You see, Abel did bring something to God, and God had asked bring a lamb for the offering, okay? So even though God said bring a lamb for the offering, Cain was like, well, I just don't want to go over to my brother and ask another lamb. I'll just give what I have. So the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. And it says, but unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? Notice what he says. If you do well, won't you be accepted? And if you do not well, hey, sin lies at the door. So what's happening here is, Cain offers to God what he wanted. When Abel offered what God wanted. And who was accepted? Abel was accepted. Abel was accepted. Why? Because he gave to God what he had asked for. Now, as we continue on in this story, 
What happens? Read it for us, brother. What happened? We read in Genesis 4, 8 through 11, And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground, and now art thou cursed from the earth. I, I noticed something as I was doing this even today. It says, his brother, his brother, your brother, my brother, thy brother. Hmm. You know, this is a family feud here. You see it? I mean, Cain, he just offered to God what he wanted, but, you know, what he personally wanted. Abel offered what God wanted. Well, God accepted Abel, but he didn't accept Cain, and Cain got upset. So there was a family feud here. Now, what is the next thing that happened in this story? Well, you mean after what? What happens is it says in Genesis 4.15, the Lord set a mark upon Cain. What happened before he set the mark upon him now? You tell us. He killed him. Cain, Cain killed his brother Abel. Why? Because... He was not accepted, and his brother was. Yeah, he was angry with his brother. Why? Because his brother had followed what God asked. He had chosen not to follow what God asked. And so it made him so angry that he persecuted his brother. And we're going to see that in the end of time. In Revelation chapter 13, you see the very same thing. The Antichrist power sets up its mark of the beast, or it sets up its false system of worship. This was a worship issue right here. Yeah. And what ends up happening is, one group chooses to follow what God asks, another group chooses not to follow what God asks, and so what happens? There's persecution. They both think they're following God. They're both, both brothers. They're both brothers. One thing, they both think they're following God. But one chooses not to follow God according to the way he asks. So they get angry when they're, when they're rebuked for that. They persecute their brother unto the death. And as a result, what happens? The Lord set a mark upon Cain. Notice, I spelled it out as plainly as it could be. The Lord will have a people at the end of time who offer to him that which he requests. Like Abel. They will be persecuted by those who offer to God what he does not ask for. Like Cain. The unrighteous, that's Cain, will persecute the righteous, that's Abel, over differences of worship. And a mark will be given to the unrighteous. It's amazing, the parallel. That's the story in Genesis chapter 4. Is it not? Somebody says, God, take this. I want to give it to you. He says, but that's not what I asked for. Oh, but take it. It's like this, Brother Chad. It's like... <clears throat> God's sitting at the end of one table, and you're sitting at the other. And, and I say, as God, I would say, uh, Brother Chad, will you please pass me the salt? And then you would say, oh, sure, no problem. And you grab the pepper, and you place it in front of me. I would say, uh, <clears throat> thank you, Chad, but I don't use pepper. Would you pass me the salt? And you say, well, you know... <laughs> I like pepper so much, I just think it might taste good on your, 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 your little food there. So here, here's the peppers, God. Um, thank you, but I, I didn't ask for the pepper. Please give me the salt. But really, I mean, you can take the pepper. You see what's happening here? God is saying, hey, give me the salt. And No, 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 but it, the, the pepper will be so much better. That's what's happening here. Cain says, God, take this. This is what I want to give you. He says, but that's not what I asked for. 
Abel says, God, take this. That's what I asked for. He has respect. Well, there's a family feud. One persecutes the other, and the one that persecuted gets the mark. It's end time scenario. It's amazing. Read it, brother. We read here in Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 5 to 13, the image of jealousy. Son of man, seest thou what they do? Even the great abomination. Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations. These are greater sins. What are these sins? Creeping things, abominable beasts, idols. The, they say, the Lord seeth us not. They say, God doesn't see what we're doing here. Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations that they do. You know, the first abomination is the image of jealousy. And he says, you'll see greater. And it's the creeping things, the abominable beasts, the other things. And then he says, hey, there's going to be more. And the greater abominations that they do are what? Would you read it? We read on here. It says, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations. Behold, at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about five and twenty men, or twenty-five men, with their backs toward the temple. So they're turning their backs towards the temple of God, or back towards the temple of the Lord, and their faces towards the east... And they worshipped the sun towards the east. This is the greatest abomination. You know, this right here is pretty clear. In Ezekiel chapter 8. Basically it's saying, hey, there's an image of jealousy. That's an abomination. But you're going to see greater abominations. Creeping things, abominable things, other idols. That's terrible, but you're going to see worse. Women weeping for Tammuz. Hey, that's terrible too. But you're going to see worse. The priests of God worshipping the sun. That, that's pretty interesting. You know why that's interesting? Because in the very next chapter, what we just read last time we were together, in chapter 9, remember it says that there's an angel that's going to go around placing a mark on the foreheads of those that sigh and cry after the abominations that are done in the land. What's the context? Tell me. Ezekiel chapter 8. Hmm. Worship of the sun. So the people are saying, God, no, don't allow them to worship the sun. Allow them to worship you, spending time with you appropriately. They're sighing and crying after the abominations of breaking the law. They're crying after the greatest abomination of Ezekiel chapter 8. You know what's interesting? It says there in this article from the trumpet. You can find it there. Just go to thetrumpet.com and you look up this. Uh, if you want, I can give you that whole slide in, in the, the reference there. Without Sunday, the pre Pope Benedict the Fourteenth uh, says, "With or is that 16? 16. Without Sunday worship, we cannot live." That's a heavy statement. September seventeen, two thousand seven. He's got a pretty strong voice. Do you think that people listen when he says that? You think so? And there's no biblical backing be behind any of those. <laughs> there's no biblical backing. In fact, as we read about some of the things that they say, it, it's, a, it's amazing, absolutely amazing that they can claim these things. Notice as it goes on, read that for us, would you, brother? It says, Benedict said that Sunday, which he stated, had its origin as the day of the dawning of creation, was also the church's weekly feast of creation. Now, think about this. The Bible says that what day was a memorial of creation? Which day? The seventh, seventh day, which day happens seven. to be what day? 
Saturday. Now, what is this guy pointing people to as saying, look, this Holy Day Sunday had its origins as the dawning of the day of creation. So he's trying to get the mind back to creation. Notice this is a total counterfeit of God's seventh-day Sabbath. It's almost too clear to see tonight. And this is amazing. That is recent, very recent. In fact, just about one month ago. Okay, now, when I ask the question, what is the largest and most influential religious power in the world, what would your answer be? The Roman Catholic Church. Okay, what is the largest and more, most influential uh, political power in the world today? What would your answer be? United the United States. States. Notice what happens in the Kalamazoo Gazette. In, you'll read it up there, March 9, Tuesday, uh, uh, 2004. Okay, I was living in, I was pastoring over in Three Rivers when I got this one. Kalamazoo is just south of uh, Grand Rapids there. It says, as we go to our next slide, in this comic that was syndicated all over America, here's one, this is Bush here, uh, by the way, the leader there in America, the most powerful political power in the world, here's one my conservative base is really going to like, a constitutional amendment requiring folks to attend church on Sundays. When I read that, seeing through prophetic eyes, I didn't just say, oh, that's cute. What what do you think I did? I have no idea. What would you do? (laughs) (laughs) I took that thing and I put it in a sermon. I said, you've got to be kidding me. This speaks louder than any other comic I've ever seen. Prophetically. Okay? Well, that's a good suggestion. Let's command people, uh, require them to attend church on Sundays. <laughs> Terrible. Now, notice what's happening here. Here you, here you see a picture. You see, you know, this, it's interesting how much union you have between our government and, and the papacy. And you can say, well, you know, and I'm not talking about Republican, Democrat. That's not what we're talking about here. Because you can see in this picture right here, you have George Bush uh, Junior, George Bush Sr. You have uh, President Clinton. You have Condoleezza Rice and some other people. You, you can see that the, the connection between our government and now... George Bush isn't even a, 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 a Catholic, is he? I think no. he's a Methodist, if I remember correctly. He's a Protestant, for sure. He's a Protestant. But you see how important the death of this man, the Pope, who claims to be Jesus Christ on earth. And how many people had gone to this funeral to see this man who had passed away. And now here, even with the new Pope, uh, Benedict, who was Cardinal Ratzinger, he is, here once again you see the president with him. You see that the, the, the connection between our government and the Roman Catholic Church is very close, very close. We're going to talk a little bit about that next weekend. Trust me, you won't want to miss next weekend. Next weekend is going to be absolutely potent. You thought you got hit hard this weekend. Wait till you show up next week. No, I'm kidding. It's not going to be that bad. <laughs> Revelation 13, 15 through 16. He... That's the second beast of Revelation 13. Had power to give life unto the image of the what? Now we know what the beast is of Revelation 13. This guy has power to give life unto the image of the beast. I say you need to come back next weekend because we're going to be talking about the image of the beast. That the image of the beast should both speak and cause. That as many as would not worship, it's a religious thing, worship the image of the beast, that they should be what? Killed. Killed. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a what? 
Mark. A mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. Explain again, brother, what's the difference between the right hand and the forehead? Well, we're going to see that, well, the, the right hand, the hand has to do, as, we, as we've already looked at it or talked about in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. So your hand has to do with your works. Your mind, the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You actually think in your heart or your forehead. They, they considered because the mind and the emotions were so intertwined, they would say something like, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The mark of the beast can be received either in the hand, you can receive it according to your works, just because you go along with it, or you can receive it in the forehead because you actually really believe it and take it to heart. Whereas the seal of God, can you receive the seal in the hand, yes or no? No, you can't receive the seal in your hand. You can only receive the seal of God in your forehead, meaning that you cannot somehow just work your way into heaven with your hand. Amen. But you will actually only make it into heaven because God has written His law in your minds and in your what? hearts. That's it. You can't work your way into heaven, but God actually does the work of changing your life, and those who love God will want to, what? Obey Him and keep His commandments. And actually, I want to say one thing. I was saying that sure. the, the um, Roman Catholic Church's close ties to the government, to be more correct, is that many churches want to have close ties to the government, not just the Roman Catholic Church. So I want to be clear with that. And we'll be actually talking more about that. We're going to be looking into the United States and Bible prophecy and some very serious subjects. So we're, we are, as Daniel said, we're kind of just getting into things. So you don't want to miss the upcoming messages that will be next weekend. Okay, so we know that the most influential person has been speaking pretty loudly about Sunday. Notice why. Okay, in Lucius Ferraris Prompta Bibliotheca, back uh, years ago, in the 1800s, I believe. Is that correct? I don't get, have the date there, I but I think it's 1800s. Yeah, it, it's, it's somewhere back away. The Pope know. is of so great authority and power that he can modify, explain, interpret, even divine laws. This is why, there, there were people asking me even in the break, like, I don't get it. How did they do that? How did they change the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday? Well, the Bible says in, in Daniel chapter 7, is it 25, mm -hmm. that he would think... The beast, the little horn power would think to change times and what? Laws. Laws. What does it say next, brother? We read, it says, uh, letter October 28, 1895, from C.F. Thomas, Chancellor of Cardinal Gibbons. Of course the Catholic Church claims that the change was her act. The change of what? Change Saturday of to Saturday Sunday. Saturday to Sunday. <clears throat> and the act is a mark. Is of a what? It's a mark. Okay. Of her ecclesiastical power and authority in religious matters. Wow. That's amazing. Now, as we continue on, this is 1995, not many years ago, May 21 in the Sentinel, the St. Catherine Catholic Church, uh, like I said, May 21, 1995, perhaps, and that's circled right here, what you're reading, uh, perhaps the boldest thing, the most revolutionary change the church ever did happened in the first century. Now, I, I don't believe that it was the first century. I think it's more like the 300s. The holy day, the Sabbath, was changed from Saturday to Sunday. The day of the Lord, Deus Dominica, was chosen not from any direction noted in the scriptures, but from the church's sense of its own power. Wow. This is a Catholic priest that's probably still living today. In fact, his name is uh, uh, Friar something. I don't remember his name. <laughs> Prior <laughs> <laughs> something. Go ahead, brother. <laughs> All right. We read on. Taken from, uh, from Sabbath observance. The Catholic Record, London, Canada, Saturday, September 1, 1923. I'll let you read the other letters. All right. The church is above the Bible. And this transference of Sabbath observance from Saturday to Sunday is proof positive 
of that fact. Deny the authority of the church and you have no adequate or reasonable explanation or justification for the substitution of Sunday for Saturday. In the third, which is actually the, product, the, the biblical, I should say, fourth commandment of God. Now, I want to say that again because that is really spelled out plainly, friends. A Catholic bishop wrote this. Deny the authority of the Catholic, I'm sorry, the church, and you have no adequate or reasonable explanation or justification for the substitution of Sunday for Saturday. They know that. It's no real news to them because they're claiming the authority to do that. They think the man on the earth, which is called the Pope or Papa, has the authority to modify even divine laws. It's no big deal to them. I went, a friend, of, a, a man that I had, we, we worked with a church down in New Mexico, and a friend of mine, or a man that I worked with, he, I asked him, or he had shared with me actually that he had been a Catholic, and he found out this message. And so he went to his Catholic priest and he said, is it true? Is it true that, that you guys changed the, the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday? And the guy said, the priest said, yeah, yeah, we did that. And he said, how on earth could you do that? You know what his response was? We can do whatever we want to. That's a heavy statement. I mean, and you can see the same thing here, basically. I mean, this is what he's saying isn't just his own opinion. I mean, this is the reality. The only way they could do it, we saw that they said it was from their sense of their own what? Authority. Authority. Not, not anything to do with the Bible. Notice it goes on in the catechism, the uh, Converts Catechism of Catholic Doctrine. Which is, which is the one we have right here, if you, you want to read it out. You read it last night. Which day is the Sabbath? Well, Saturday is the Sabbath day. Well, question, why do we observe Sunday instead of Saturday? The answer, we observe Sunday instead of Saturday because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. Right in their own teachings that they teach everybody who comes into their church. Read the next one, brother. We read here. I am plain talk about the Protestantism. Or Protestanti- I think it's actually Protestantism of today. No, it's not. Oh, it, it is Protestant. Yeah, okay, Protestant never mind. The observance of Sunday by the Protestants is homage they pay in spite of themselves to the authority of what? The Catholic Church. So what does this say? The observance of Sunday by Protestants, those are people who claim they believe the Bible and don't take the Roman Catholic Church as their authority. They say that the observance of Sunday by them is homage. They're paying homage to the authority of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, we're not saying these things. This is the who? This is the church themselves. Yeah, the church themselves are actually saying these things. Now, notice, they've been saying many times in their own writings that, that Sunday worship is the mark of their own authority. You know, if the law of God written on the forehead, if the character of, or the name of God written on the forehead means the law of God in our lives, including the Seventh-day Sabbath, if the Seventh-day Sabbath is really the one that's the issue, because we don't have a bunch of Christians stealing chickens, right? Not really. We've got, I a hope bunch, not. <laughs> we've got a bunch of Christians that are breaking the Sabbath commandment. And they're taught to because that's the norm. It's common. Everybody does it. Everybody's, how could everybody be wrong? Well, frankly, everybody normally is wrong compared to the minority. The majority is almost always wrong. At least biblically, you see in the Bible the same thing, that the majority, most always in the Bible, is actually in the wrong. Yeah. So if the seal of God is, is in today's vernacular, keeping the seventh-day Sabbath because... We love Jesus and want to keep his commandments. The mark of the beast is obviously something that would be contrary to that. Or take the place of that. Yeah. The mark of their own authority. The transference of solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. You know, I I was mentioning to somebody last night, I said, history repeats itself. 
And this young lady said plainly, you are right, history repeats itself. She is uh, a historian of, of sorts. There's a chapter of, in the book of Daniel. What does this chapter talk about in Daniel chapter 2? You know, it basically shows the same thing that we've already looked at in Daniel chapter 7 where you had the four beasts. You had this statue with a head of gold, a chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs made of iron, feet that were made part of iron and part of clay. And then a stone came out and struck the image on the feet. And the Bible clearly specifies that this head was the kingdom of Babylon. The chest and arms of silver was the kingdom of Medo-Persia. The belly and thighs of brass was, they took over the Medo-Persian kingdom, which was Greece. Greece took over Medo-Persia. And then the Roman Empire, which was these long legs, the iron monarchy of Rome, took over Greece. And then you saw there were ten toes, which which was the divided empire of Rome as Rome divided and it ended up initially dividing into ten portions. But interestingly enough, this prophecy was given to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And when he heard this prophecy, you know, he was right there at the top of the prophecy at the very beginning and he hears that another nation is actually going to take over his nation. He probably didn't like that very much. Well, he didn't like that in fact at all. So what he did is in the next chapter, chapter 3, he set up his own statue. In fact, it was not a statue of four different metals. It was a statue of gold, you see. And so if you didn't worship that image, you were cast into the fire. That was the persecution that was going to come upon those that were alive during that time, you see. Think about it. Think about it. If you don't worship the image... Oh, by the way, the king is saying, if you don't worship... So church and state has come together. The king is saying, if you don't worship... The image, you're going to be killed. Okay? How many of you, well, I'm not going to say that, but you, if you don't know Daniel chapter 3, you should go home and read Daniel chapter 3. It's pretty clear. So there's three Hebrews that stand up and they say, hey, listen, king, we are not going to break the commandments of God, even at your command. And he said, throw them into the fire. And they threw them into the fire. And what happened is they are all standing there, all three of them. And the king looks in and what does he say? He says, wow, I thought I, threw, I thought I threw three men into the fire, but lo, I see four men, and one looks like the Son of God. Of God, that's right. So as a result of not worshiping the image, they were persecuted, but God delivered them. Notice as we continue, be honest with the Scripture, and let's see what happens. He had power to give life unto the image of the beast, the image that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Didn't we just see in Daniel chapter 3 that there's a story where if there's an image, and if you don't worship that image, you'll be killed? It says, if you don't worship the image of the beast, you'll be killed. And he caused all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a, it should say, a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark. Daniel, one quick thing. Are we going to find out who the image of the beast is? Next week, we're going to look Next week. See, one second. You do not want to miss what's going to be coming up next week. We're going to be looking at who specifically the image of the beast is. Because notice, if you don't worship that beast, there's going to come a time where you will not be able to what? Buy or sell. And what's interesting is, Daniel chapter 3 makes it plain... It's a story that reveals what's happening here in Revelation chapter 13. But remember, history repeats itself. You won't be able to buy or sell. Let's look at history. Taken from 1883 or 1843, the history of the Church of Scotland from the Reformation to the present time is the title of this book. It's written by Thomas Stephan. 
You can find it on Google Books, okay? What it reads is, this is the very worst spirit of popery. And one of the well-known marks of the beast is here clearly developed, which forbids all traffic with heretics or parties, excommunicated parties. In the Roman church, none are permitted to buy or sell except those who are implicated in the predicted blasphemy or apostasy with which the man of sin has been tainted, the Roman church. What it's saying is if you're not implicated in or with the Roman church, if you're a heretic or you're excommunicated, you cannot buy or sell. Back in, back in this time period here. Back in that time period, 1843, okay, in, in Scotland. Now, if history repeats itself, or at okay. Least the, at least the time period they're specifying. That's right. It actually is. He's talking about July. and the, you, you can, I'll give you this, this reference if you're interested. You can download the whole book on Google uh, yourself. In fact, it says right up there, download PDF 26.5 megabytes. If you want it, get it. So here's the point. If history repeats itself, the Catholic Church was persecuting. The Catholic Church was saying you can't buy or sell unless. And all these things were happening in, in history. If history repeats itself, there's going to be something like that, as we read uh, in our previous text. No man can buy or sell, save he that had the what? The mark. And in today's society, with technology as it is, it probably won't be very hard to differentiate who has the mark and who does not. I think it's very interesting. We're going to go on to one more thing here. So we ask the question, who has the mark of the beast right now? That's a good question, right? We'd like to know who has the mark of the beast right now on whatever date it is of 2007. I have no idea off the top of my head. 14th, I think. 14th of October. All right, we'll say that. Now, who has it right now? The answer is who, Daniel? Nobody yet. Nobody has the mark of the beast. Not even nobody not e yet. Yeah. <laughs> not even nobody. Yeah, not even, okay. No, nobody has it, right? Why not? Why does no one have the mark of the beast right now? Because the question is, is what is the mark of the beast? The mark of the beast is going to be something that is going to be forced. People are going to have, there will have to be laws enforcing these things. Because remember, it says that he causes or forces all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark, where? In their right hand or in their foreheads. Have any of you been forced to keep a particular day lately? Maybe no. by your parents, but that doesn't count, right? <laughs> My parent is the Antichrist, right? Yeah, yeah, that's not the point. Don't, don't go home and say we said that. Come on now. But this is the reality. Nobody has the mark of the beast right now. The time will come. We've already seen that history, no question, history repeats itself. And the reality is, we see a pope saying what? You cannot live without what? Sunday. Sunday. Is that biblical? No. There's nothing biblical behind it. He got that from the church's sense of its own authority. Yeah. Not from the biblical teaching. Now, we see that this thing, this, this whole law of God, as we see on our next slide, is actually God's character. We've seen that God is good, He's holy, He's perfect. And what else is good, holy, perfect? The law of God. The law of God is a transcript. It, it is what spells out, this is like God's character. And so if God wants to have His law on our minds as a mark... Don't you think the enemy is going to want to have some other thing on our forehead or in our hand as a mark? His own law. 
His own law. That was a good point. His own law. And so the reality is, we, we've just got to be faithful to God. Amen. And that's why we're going to pass out a card. If, if you can help us quickly. Let me share one thing as we're passing it out. I want you to think about this. Imagine there's a young man with a young man who, who just gets married. Seems like my stories seem to have to do about young people who just got married, right? Well, well <laughs> imagine there's a young man who just gets married. Okay? So as he's getting married, his best man, you know how best, man, best men are always very good, right? It always seems, you know, you kind of imagine they're kind of shysters every once in a while. Well, imagine that this best man comes along and he comes to the young lady, the bride-to-be. So the best man comes along and he says to the bride, he says, Listen, John, your husband-to-be, this young man, you know, he loves parsnips. Parsnips are his favorite food. John would never tell you that parsnips are his favorite food, but the reality is he loves parsnips. And so she says, wow, thank you so much for telling me. I'm going to make him parsnips. So you see, time passes, and what ends up happening is, they, as they're getting married, they get married, they have their honeymoon, everything goes really well on the honeymoon, but after the honeymoon, what ends up happening is this. The young man says, well... Honey, I'm going to go to work today, and when I'm home, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be so excited to be with you. And she says, you know what? I'm going to prepare for you a special meal. So he goes off to work on his first day, and when he comes home, his wife has everything set. The table is set. Everything looks good in the house. He comes in, he sits down, and she says, Honey, I cooked something that I've heard is your favorite meal. And she brings to him a big old pile of parsnips. She pulls off the lid, and he looks at them, and he thinks, Parsnips? Who eats those? <laughs> Parsnips? Who, who eats parsnips? Who likes parsnips? This is, this is crazy. But he says, oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Why did he do that? Because he, he loves her, right? And she, with her love, was giving him the parsnips. So time passes on, and every other day, his wife seems to be making him parsnips. And he starts wondering, why on earth is she making me parsnips all the time? I don't even know anyone that eats parsnips, and I certainly don't like them. But every time she makes them, she says, what do you think? Did you like them? I made them special for you. And, and he says, oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate your hard work. You're so good to me. Day after day and week after week, you know, or every other day, she keeps making these things. And he's wondering, why is she doing this? And finally, he, keeps, he starts dropping hints that there's other things he likes much better. I really like cooked carrots. Those cooked carrots are some of the best food I've ever had. And so he's, he's dropping hints. And slowly she starts re realizing he really isn't complimenting her parsnips very much. Well. The time finally comes where she finds that he doesn't really like parsnips. He actually likes all these other specific things. Now, how do you think she feels? She probably feels a little deceived. I can't believe someone tricked me in regard to this, right? But at the same time, do you think she wanted to just keep pushing the parsnips on him? What do you think, yes or no? No, why? Because she loves him. Amen. And because she loves him, she wants to give him those things that make him what? Happy. Happy. In the same way, you may have heard these things. You may have, you know, you, your whole life as I did. You may have said, well, I've kept Sunday my whole life. My great-grandparents, my grandparents, my parents, all of them keep Sunday. And then you find out God didn't ask for, the, for Sunday. Amen. He asked for the Sabbath. And so you, you may have loved him, and I believe you have, because you wouldn't be here. Yeah. Why would you come night after night if you didn't love Jesus, right? Amen. 
The reality is this. In love, Jesus says, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. And tonight you have a card in your hand and you may be asking, how can I keep these things? I want to keep these things. And tonight you may be saying, all right. You have a little survey card here. And number one says, I have wandered away from the Lord, from Jesus Christ and desire to recommit my life to Him. If that's your desire tonight, would you put a check right there just now? Put a check there. Or number two, I would like to be baptized as Jesus was. Or maybe you say, well, you know, I, baptized, I was baptized and I, I really didn't know what it meant. It really meant nothing to me. And, I, you know, I, I want to be baptized as Jesus was. I want to be rebaptized. I want to know what it means. I want to experience this. You can put a check right there. You say, I'd like to be rebaptized. Or number three, you say, I would wish to honor God by keeping the Ten Commandments, including His seventh day Sabbath. You see these things and you say, I've loved God my whole life. Why do I need the Sabbath? But we see, if Jesus shows you something that you never knew, and He says that those things which you, or at least this thing you used to know, isn't exactly what I wanted, you followed me in sincerity. But now I've revealed to you more light. Do you say tonight, you say, I wish to honor God by keeping the Ten Commandments, including a seven-day Sabbath. Put a check right there. Or you say, number four, I do not want to receive the mark of the beast. You know what? I want to put a check right there. I did. (laughs) Put a check right there. Let's bow our heads together, please. Father, tonight you have revealed to us that you want the Ten Commandments written on our foreheads. You want our Father's name written on our foreheads. You want His character written on our foreheads. And Lord, you've also told us that you want us to love Jesus Christ and keep His commandments. Help us to do that. Father, I also know that you don't want us to receive the mark of the beast because the Bible says some of the most graphic and terrible things that will happen to those who refuse your authority and receive the mark of the beast. Please, Lord, help us to be diligent in our study. Help us to be wise in our decisions. And may we have Christ Jesus in our heart. We thank you for this in his holy name. Let everybody say, Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.